Welcome to episode 21 of My Writing Sucks, the podcast where I read my cringy old writing to make you feel better about yours. And I cannot believe that we are on the second to last episode. This has gone so incredibly quickly, partially because the story is short. It only clocks in at about 43,000 words, and a short novel is 50,000. And for reference, the first Harry Potter novel is almost 80,000 words. So Creep Canopy is very short. And this is just an interesting tidbit of information, but I worked for an independent publisher as an intern one summer, and I went through all of the queries that they got in, and some of our immediate rejection criteria was if the story was under word count. So for a YA novel, they were looking for stories around 70,000 to 110,000 words. So Cree of Canopy would have been immediately passed on because it is just so short. No matter what the prose looks like, no matter how good the story is, a short story like this is exceptionally difficult to market to YA readers, and publishers are just looking for longer pieces. And also, like I feel we have thoroughly covered in this podcast, there are many, 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 many reasons that Grey of Canopy would not be published, and the length, I feel like, is the least important one. But without further ado, chapter 21. The pair danced the night away, simply as happy as could be. Orchids seemed to have forgotten about me and, well, everything. The band finished their eighth song and announced a break. Fabian ran off to get some refreshments, leaving Orchid alone. I could tell she was completely love-struck. I don't like that sentence. I don't like sentences that say, I could tell, or she looked love-struck. The immediate question it raises in my mind is, what does love-struck look like for this particular person? And using those telling sentences where you just say she looked, she seemed, she appeared, whatever emotion they're feeling, is a lost opportunity for description. Instead of just saying she appeared lovestruck, I wish 14-year-old me had described what that felt like a little bit more, especially from Cree's perspective inside of Orchid. Was she stepping lighter? Were her cheeks flushed? How was she talking with other people? Did her thoughts just scatter in a million places? I don't know. It would have been an interesting moment to... A. See how Orchid specifically is lovestruck, and B. See how Cree experiences that emotion inside of Orchid, and if she gets caught up in the feelings or if she can distance herself from them. Lost opportunity. It seemed there was a filter in front of her, only focusing on Fabian. She sighed dreamily and didn't notice when Lily came up behind her. Hi, sis. Oh, no. That is literally the most inauthentic greeting that there ever has been in the history of humanity. Hi, sis. Enjoying my wonderful ball? Lily spun around and turned back for an answer. What? What do you mean? Why did she spin around? Did she just feel the need to do a twirl and then turn back around? I don't know. That was weird. Orchid stared in a daze. Lily knocked her forehead. Anybody in there? Orchid shook her head. Yes, this is a lovely ball. The music is so joyful. You did a good job choosing the band. That was the most inauthentic, bizarre dialogue that I have ever read She is an android. Just reading from a script, that was painful. Lily nodded and grabbed her sister's wrist, towing her to the stage. Yes, I believe they are called the the Valley's Pride. She tugged Orchid closer. Lily whispered in her ear, I have a big surprise for you. Close your eyes and get ready. She obeyed as Lily led her unsuspecting sister to the middle of the stage. Keep them closed, Orchid. Lily cleared her throat. throat) Ladies and gentlemen, 
If I could have your attention, please. May I present Princess Beautiful Moon Orchid. Lily dashed back down the steps, leaving her sister alone. Wait, what? Was that the surprise? Like, I'm just gonna drag you on the stage in front of everybody and make you speak? Surprise! What the heck? The crowd was silent as they stared at the surprised speaker. She stepped forward and addressed the crowd. Well, I had no idea I was gonna be speaking tonight, so I guess all I have to say is... Thank you for attending, and dancing bears follow pink fungi leaves. Point. Cree. Okay, so if you're confused what happened, Cree is trying to, again, just embarrass Orchid by making her say random words in front of everybody. But I never got why 14-year-old me did that, because why would Cree just have her say random nonsense instead of something actually embarrassing? I don't understand. Also, I remember having an exceptionally hard time coming up with these random statements. I could not generate random words in my brain when I was writing this for whatever reason. Maybe that was a good indicator that I shouldn't have done this and should have had her say just straight up something embarrassing. Orchid gulped. I, I mean, happy ponies kick green carriagemen. Muttering filled the silent room as she continued. No, desert province camels eat lemon cakes. The crowd was now a mix of laughter and chatter. Sausage! I mean, sorry! Orchid dashed off the stage where Lily was waiting. What the heck was that? She walked briskly past Lily. Nerves, I guess. Orchid made a beeline for the doors. Beeline? For the first time in my life, I realized that I have no idea what beeline means exactly. I'm gonna look it up. A quick Google search finds that the phrase derives from the behavior of bees. When a forager bee finds a source of nectar, it returns to the hive and communicates its location to the other bees using a display called the waggle dance. The other bees are then able to fly directly to the source of nectar, that is, make a beeline for it. When the forager bee performs a short wiggling run, hence the name, with the angle denoting the direction of the nectar-laden flowers, and the length of time denoting the distance. The phrase is American, and all the early citations of it come from the USA. The earliest I can find is from the Davenport Daily Leader, January 1808. So I guess beeline literally relates to bees, which I did not know until this very moment. So consider that the most useless and tangential bit of information you will learn from this podcast. I have a lot of random facts like that in my head, and I could keep going, but for your sake, I will not. Back to the story. Orchid made a beeline for the doors, trying to avoid stares and laughter. Just before she was there, a teenage boy stepped in front of her. He was quite chunky with a mop of shaggy brown hair. He bowed and smiled at her. That was the best speech I have ever heard. I wish I had that amount of courage to stand up in front of all these people and humiliate myself. Thanks, but I've gotta go. Orchid tried to go around him, but he stopped her. Wait, I'm Augustus Edgar Lafair, grandson of Sir Gino Cray. Delegate of the Swamp Province. Orchid flinched. She and I agreed on one thing. Sir Cray was a creep. And we're back to chapter two somehow. Interesting. Orchid continued. I was hoping you might save a dance for me. Sorry, my dance card's all full. Orchid ended bluntly as she dashed out the doors. If I were distraught as Orchid was at that moment, I would have run straight to the paddock to see Echo. Yet she decided to run up the grand staircase through the corridors and up to the highest balcony in the palace. It was located in the east wing of the castle, overlooking the city and surrounding valley. You could see everything, shops winding down for the night and carriages still meandering through the streets. I guarantee that is almost the exact same description I gave when Cree was looking down from the palace in, like, chapter two, because my variety wasn't exactly wide in my language at the time. Orchid sighed. I've blown my chance with Fabian again. Couldn't you just stay out of this, Cree? She was almost pleading now. No way, Orchid. I'm not just going to give up. I have a life to get back to. Canopy is my home. Whatever. I know. 
The twitching started again. Orchid me, orchid me. Finally, this is my chance. She was weak. Now if I only... Orchid? Fabian stood in the doorway. Darn it! Curse that handsome prince! But he's not a prince! I will never get over that. Orchid wiped her eyes and stood up. Yes, Fabian, I know I made a complete fool of myself and you never want to see me again. You don't have to say it. Fabian came a bit closer and put his hand on her shoulder. No, I actually thought that speech was pretty funny. He cleared his throat. throat) I mean, I understood how nervous you were. Orchid smiled. Thanks, I guess. Well, I think we have a dance to finish. Shall we? He gestured to the door and Orchid nodded. A figure burst through the doorway as they turned to exit. Unhand my princess! (laughs) What? (laughs) There in front of the pair stood an angry Augustus Edgar Lafare. She's mine, Sir Blondie. Oh, roasted! Hand her over! Fabian looked at Orchid and back at Augustus, chuckling. She's yours, huh? How about some proof? Bippity-boppity women aren't property! We don't need, like, a deed, title, and lease! Also, if you have no idea what meme I'm referencing, you're probably very confused, but I'm not going to apologize. Look it up. It's a great meme. (laughs) Augustus wavered and then smirked. How about this? He swung his fist and connected with Fabian's nose. Orchid screamed as Augustus moved closer. What is going on? This has suddenly turned into, like, a melodrama, and it's mixed with a teen high school drama, probably on the CW. We all know which one I'm referencing, and I'm so confused. Also, why does Augustus suddenly care so much about Orchid? It seems like they just met. They just gave their names. She said, no, I don't want to dance, and now he's on some ridiculous tirade. I am so confused. I was thinking... It would have been one thing if Augustus were introduced earlier, maybe at the same dinner where Maverick came, like this was Cree's first suitor coming to dinner for her too, and then it didn't go well, and blah blah blah, and he's still salty about that, and then now there's this too. But he just fairly literally came out of nowhere, and you know what, let's just keep moving with the scene. Orchid screamed as Augustus moved closer. Fabian was up against the railing, and it began to creak and shudder under his weight. How's that, pretty boy? Would you like another? Augustus punched him twice, and with a startling crack, the railing snapped and Fabian tumbled over the edge! Oh, I'm shook! Orchid's screams turned to sobs as she fell to her knees. Fabian was surely dead. What? This scene went from zero to murder in approximately three paragraphs? And I am beside myself. You should see. I am literally bracing my arms against the sides of my closet because I am so shook. Augustus turned to her wide-eyed with shock and said monotone, I'll get help. Minutes later, he came back with guards in tow. Orchid stood up and began to address the guards. Thanks for... That's her. The murderer. (laughs) Oh no! Now Orchid's getting framed for murder, and we have like 15 pages left in this book. I'm so tired. (laughs) That's her. The murderer. She pushed Fabian over the railing after they had been fighting. She killed him. Augustus yelled to the guards with amazing confidence. Orchid took a minute to register what happened. That stupid lump of a man was framing her. 
Orchid, why did that take you a few minutes to notice? I think that's pretty clear, ma'am. The guards roughly tied her arms behind her back and dragged her away. I know that I have said so many things in this novel are nonsensical, illogical, perhaps a bit bizarre, but of all the plot points, somehow this one hit me the hardest. And I think that's because it comes from so far out of left field, it connects with literally nothing that has happened so far, doesn't wrap anything up, doesn't feel like a climax, it's just murder, because why not? 14-year-old me was running out of ideas, I guess. Orchid never figured she'd be sitting in a dungeon, let alone one in her own home. In her mind, nothing could possibly get worse. Of course, she was wrong. Orchid was still tied up as she sat in the corner of the cell. Thanks, Cree. This is all your fault, she said bitterly. How in the world is any of this my fault? She shrugged. It just is. A voice echoed through the empty dungeon. Who are you talking to, lassie? Orchid spun around and looked at the cell across from her. Inside, an old man with a long, silvery beard sat cross-legged, fiddling with a metal cup and spoon. It's nice to have some company after years and years and years of solitude. Who are you exactly? He asked as he placed the cup on his head. Princess Beautiful Moon Orchid. Second in line for the crown of the provinces. The old man stared back and said sarcastically, Oh, how nice. You must feel so important. I'm... Ah, what is my name? He pondered for a moment, then exclaimed so loud it startled Orchid, Bowen! Bowen Rupert Paolo! It is a pleasure to meet you. He bowed. Orchid cleared her throat. Well, it was very nice to meet you, Bowen, but I... Bowen stood up and began marching around his cell. You know how I got here, lassie? I don't care to. <laughs> That's funny. I lived a normal life. I had three wonderful children, Finnegan, Gareth, and Poppy. We loved them so much, the wife and I. Gareth and Finnegan were my little buddies. They did everything with me. Poppy looked just like my wife, bright blue eyes and deep brown hair that she would always have in two little braids. His voice darkened as he continued. Then things started happening. Nobody wanted to be around my kind anymore. We were outcasts, frowned upon, spit upon. We had to move our little family to a safe place, but there was no such thing. We did our best, but the missus got sick, real sick. After her passing, I raised the children the best I could. They were beginning to recover after the loss, but Poppy was never the same. She just didn't have the same sparkle in her eyes. Tears glistened in Bowen's hazel eyes. Why am I receiving all of this information about a random old man when a murder was just committed? Am I supposed to feel sympathy for him? Am I supposed to be interested in him whatsoever when I have some other very large questions floating around in my mind? Fourteen-year-old me, tell me why. Tell me why you did this. Time passed, and the kids moved on and out, leaving their dear daddy behind. I haven't heard too much from them. All I know is that I'm a grandfather to a little girl named Daisy Louisa. I've never met her, and probably won't, thanks to one stupid mistake I made twenty years ago. Orchid sat stunned. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty stunned too, but not in a good way. Orchid sat stunned. That was one sad story. I felt bad for Bowen, but all I could wonder was who his kind was. Bowen sat silently, messing with his cup while Orchid just sat, staring at the wall. 
A creaking door echoed through the dungeon. A man approached Orchid's cell and spoke to her as if she were a criminal. The king has granted you permission to speak with him. And that's the end of chapter 21, I guess. And I really only have one question, and that is, 14-year-old me, are you okay? Blink twice if you need help. This whole podcast, I have put such a focus on finding the good in your old writing. And this is the first chapter where I genuinely don't like any single thing about it. And I feel so hypocritical saying that because I truly believe that in everything you write, there is always something that does have value and can be salvaged even if the piece at large is not good. However, I personally cannot see anything in this chapter that is of value. And I think that's probably because I'm so close to it as the author that right now I'm just so deeply frustrated with my 14-year-old self for all of these bizarre choices that she's making, and I can't quite emotionally separate myself enough and be objective with the text. So there probably is something good in chapter 21, but I just can't see it. (laughs) Nothing makes sense. I don't get why Cree just has Orchid say nonsense words in front of everybody, I don't know why Augustus comes out of nowhere and straight up murders Fabian. And I don't know why we need Bowen's life story right after the murder. What I was trying to foreshadow there was that he is or was a part of the Society of the Blazon. But I, and I really thought that I was going to mention a tattoo on his arm, but then I didn't. So he just seems like a crazy old man. And I have no idea if I had any intention for his character after this, but it was just so weird. And I think I'm so frustrated because these chapters, the past two or three, are doing nothing that a conclusion should do. Now, I would like to preface this statement by saying an academic essay conclusion is very different from a fictional conclusion. However, I do think some of the principles apply. In an academic conclusion, what you want to do is wrap up all of the ideas that you've already presented. And in a basic sense, what you do is you tell the reader what you already told them. You restate your thesis and then bring it back out to some wide information to contextualize your argument, your research, your whatever, in the broad scheme of human existence, basically. And surprisingly, I'd see a lot of conclusions in the writing studio from students that would continue to offer new information that hadn't been offered to the reader before. And I would always tell them that the conclusion is not the time to bring up new arguments. Those need to come earlier. And to get to the point with this metaphor, Augustus is like bringing new information into the conclusion. He comes out of nowhere, and I have no idea where exactly to place him in the narrative because we've already been given so many antagonists, like I was saying in the podcast before. You got the father, Lily, Margareta, King Latou, Orchid, Mountis, now this guy too? My gosh, they just keep coming, and we don't have enough time to fully address him as well and all of the implications that Augustus could give as the son of Sergino Cray and now committing murder and framing Orchid for it. Why haven't we been introduced to him before? 14-year-old me just didn't properly know how to wrap up the plot threads that I already had going and thought that I just had to keep including more. I would rather see one or two solid plot lines than the eight that I've been trying to juggle here. None of them have been addressed thoroughly or concluded thoroughly, and because of that, I feel exceptionally unsatisfied as a reader, which is the last thing you want your reader to feel. 
By the time you get to the conclusion of your story, even if you're setting up for a sequel, you do want to at least wrap up some things, give some answers, and then very intentionally choose which plot threads you're going to leave hanging or kind of begin anew for the sequel. I say that to say it's totally okay to have cliffhangers because those are intentional dissatisfaction in a very alluring, intriguing way that will get your reader to want to read the next book. So you don't have to answer every question is the point. With this chapter, I just feel like we're back to the beginning of the story, where we had a bunch of disconnected scenes with no context or meaning or importance whatsoever. And that's really boring to read, and I think it's so unfortunate. And I just find it interesting that the story really struggles when we exist in the palace. And I think that is because 14-year-old me thoroughly enjoyed riding in Canopy, that riding back in the palace was a bit of a chore, and I didn't even want to do it myself. I just wanted to get out of there as quick as possible. I think in the text you can feel that 14-year-old me is pretty much ready to wrap things up and wants to get to this one ending vision that I've had in my mind since when I had started writing it however many months previous. Writing long-form fiction is a whole lot like running. I've been trying to get more into running lately. I still hate it, but I've been trying. And I find that at the end of my run, when I can see the air quotes finish line in sight, all of my body is just more tired than it has been the entire run. Of course, because I'm at the end, but I think more so because I can see the end in sight and my body wants to prematurely give up where, you know, when you're in the middle of it, even though you're hurting the same amount, you just, you just keep going because that's what you've got to do. You're stuck in the middle of it. Like when you're writing, I don't know, chapter 30 or you're at the 30,000 word slump, you just push through it because that's what you've got to do to get to the end. But here in my words, I can sense that I'm getting that finish line fatigue, and I'm just ready to be done. Don't give up on yourself at the end. Keep pushing all the way through. You want to produce the same quality of work at the end as you were at the beginning. Even though you're tired, even though your brain feels like jello, don't loosen up. Give your story the conclusion that you know it deserves. And it really sucks that Cree of Canopy is ending this way when it was doing so well for a few chapters there. But next chapter is the conclusion of the entire book. I cannot believe we're almost there. I have a whole lot of concluding thoughts that I am excited to address, and I also intend on reading an alternate version of the Cree of Canopy ending that I wrote uh, this year, actually, after rereading the draft for the first time in like five or six years. So, if you're excited to hear that, do come back next episode. But until then... Keep on writing and keep being kind to yourself. Thank you.